we started a new series last week called Tomorrow Starts Today. Uh, I've, if you didn't get a chance to already hook up in a life group, Zach mentioned it, please take advantage of that. Uh, we've got several groups that are going to be talking about what we're saying on Sundays and just drilling into our topic a little bit more. It's good to bounce things off of people and have others to encourage you as we're going through these things. And uh, the premise of our lesson here is, have you ever gotten into a place in your life where you look back and thought, man... I wish the lessons that I learned in the last couple years I would have known two years ago. And, and some of us were thinking, man, I wish the lessons I learned this week I would have known last Sunday before I walked out the door. It's, it, what we're doing in the future, we prepare for by what we learn and embrace today. Tomorrow really does start today. And there are things that we need to be open to learning and experiencing and letting God work in us right now that will affect our future. The next, the next five years, the next five minutes... The next, however long it's going to be, is determined by how we're living right now and what we're open to letting Jesus do in our lives. So that's why we're talking about tomorrow starts today. And our key verse that we've been using for this series is Proverbs twenty four fourteen. It says, you may be sure that wisdom is good for the soul. Get wisdom and you have a bright future. I don't know about you, but I would like a bright future rather than stumbling around in the dark. Is there, is there anybody this morning, can I see a show of hands, who would like to stumble around in the dark more than have a bright future? No, no hands for that one, come on. And I'm just saying that because I knew everybody's like not raising their hands anyway. How many of you would really like to have a bright future? Come on, let's see those hands. And it starts by embracing wisdom and seeing what God wants to do in our lives today. And when we do that, we have a bright future. He doesn't want us to stumble around the dark. I don't, I don't know if you've experienced it, but I've tried to walk through my living room in the dark. And even though I know where all the furniture is, it's not pleasant to stumble around in the dark. And it can be painful sometimes. And God would much rather give us a bright future where we see what's coming, we've learned some lessons, and we have some wisdom in life to be prepared for what's coming and we're not stumbling around around. Last week we covered uh, five different lessons. That was, a, that was a lot to digest last week, but they were all good ones. And I've got a lot more today, but if you missed last week, go back and listen to it. It's available online. You can hear it and you can discuss it in a life group with somebody else this week. Uh, so I want to get right into the things I felt like God was wanting us to, to talk about today. And the number one lesson that I was looking at this week is purpose to grow. There, there is something in our lives we need to purpose to grow. Do you know that some growth happens naturally? You, you've got a seed that you plant. If you ever did this when you were in elementary school, maybe you had the little milk carton with the grass seeds. Did anybody else ever do that? Yeah, and, and at the end of a, a month, you had a whole carton full of grass. And what do you do with that? I, I don't know. Did anybody ever plant it in their yard? I, mine stayed at school in the milk carton, and I think sometime over winter break, it probably went in the trash. But there are some things that just grow naturally. You put a seed in the ground, you water it, you let the sun shine on it, it's got the right soil, it just grows. Stuff happens. Sometimes in our lives, as, as we are little, we start to become bigger. There's just growth that happens naturally, but some growth is intentional. There are things that we can do to grow in our lives. Look at your neighbor and say, you're not a plant. <laughs> Come on, what do I mean by that? You're not, you're not a random seed or a plant in the ground that's just going to happen to grow because the sun shines on it. Some of you are thinking, oh, you're kind of a plant. Like, <laughs> Be a little more exciting or we're going to call you a plant. I don't know. You're, you are a human being. You can own 
the growth that happens in your life. At some point in our lives, we have to take responsibility for the mental, the spiritual, the emotional growth that we experience. It doesn't always happen by accident. Yes, I'm, I'm not ruling out there are some lessons that you could stumble into in life. There are some growth things that happen because you just walk into it unaware. But there are a lot of times when we need to choose and purpose to own, I'm going to grow. I want something to happen in my life. And if you're in this room today and you don't think you need to grow, you're going to find it very lonely in life. I don't know about you, but I've, I've had times where I thought I knew everything and that made me very difficult to be around. Everybody's wondering, should I say amen to that or not? <laughs> That's what happens. If, you are, if we are in this room this morning, it's a given that we need to grow. If we stop, come on, the only things that stop growing are dead things. And if we are alive, if Jesus is alive in us, there is growth that needs to happen in our lives and we need to own it. And sometimes, honestly, sometimes we are resistant to growth because growth can be hard. Their change sometimes is hard. Embracing new things, letting things be different than they were in the past, uh, letting movement happen in our lives, sometimes letting pruning happen in our lives. Come on. There are plants that grow more and they flourish more because some of the branches get cut off. You know, that's hard growth sometimes to experience. But that doesn't absolve us from the responsibility to say, I want to grow. I I want to be fashioned more into the image of Jesus than I was yesterday. I want growth to happen in my life. And we have to take responsibility for it. Even like an example simple, I think we ought to be lifelong learners. I think that's part of how growth happens in our life. And you may be at a place where you say, oh, well, you know, I couldn't afford to go to college or I couldn't learn anything else. You might not afford, be able to afford college, but you could afford a library card. They're free. I, know, I, <laughs> I have a library card. Daniel has a library card that lets him get books on his, on his phone. There's, there are ways that we can learn, that we can take responsibility for growing, that we have to overcome some excuses sometimes, and we have to overcome hurdles and obstacles in order to embrace and purpose to grow. Uh, watch the Apostle Paul. He knew this lesson. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12, this is what Paul says, I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing. But I run with passion into his abundance so that I may reach the purpose that Jesus Christ has called me to fulfill and what he wants me to discover. Come on, that is the tension of the Christian life is that Jesus has done everything, but there's more. Do you ever think about how that works? He really has provided everything we could ever need for life and godliness and fullness and contentment. He's set us apart. He's done works in our lives. He's made us holy. He's sanctified us. All those things. But yet something, the tension of the Christian life is that there's more for me. I have not experienced the fullness of everything that Jesus has provided. That's only a ten- I got one amen. That's attention for one person. The rest of us can kick back. We've arrived. There's nothing left to do in our Christian walk. Come on. There is something to embrace. Paul knew this. He t- two things that I see in this verse. The first, Paul recognized he has some growing to do. He says, I admit I haven't yet attained. I don't look like what I'm going to look like later. And I'll admit that right now. I own it. I know I am a work that's happening, that I'm progressively, Jesus has already done the work. It's finished. But my experience of it is growing day by day. 
There are things that are changing in my character that are different than they were last week. There is a maturity that we walk into that we have to purpose to do. And not only did Paul say, I admit it, that I haven't achieved it yet, but the second thing is he knows he can do something about it. He says, I am pursuing it. I am running. I am embracing what Jesus has for me. Not only do I realize there's growth that I need to experience, but I am owning it and doing something about it. Paul says, I'm running into his abundance in this translation. There, if you want to grow, part of it is embracing what God wants to do in our lives, running towards him. Too many of us, we, we think growth happens all by itself or we run away from Jesus and we need to run into him and let him work on some things in our lives to lay hold of it. And I'm still, come on, this is not works-oriented salvation. There's nothing you can earn in what Jesus did for you, but this is purposing to grow up and to mature in some areas and let Jesus work on the outside what he's already made true on the inside through the cross. That's good, Pastor Chris. Keep preaching to us. Here's another verse that, that Paul knew in 1 Corinthians 13, 11. He says, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I feel that's, that's how you ought to read that verse, when I became a man. And not every, half the people in the room can't relate to saying that, but I was, I was going to say, everybody say, when I became a man, but half of you didn't become a man, so, and you're not, anyway. He says, when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. I let go of some things in the past because I needed to grow. And I think in this verse, childish ways, it could be a whole list of things maybe, but I think childish ways include thinking that I don't need to grow and that somebody else is responsible for me. I think there, there is an epidemic in society of people thinking someone else will take care of me. Somebody else should do this. And childish ways say, I'm going to put some of that stuff behind me and I'm going to own some things that I need to do to grow. When, when our kids were babies, we did everything for them. We, f- I, we fed them, we changed them, we made sure they got laid down for a nap. Whatever it was, there were things that when, when children are babies, you do all of that stuff for them. But there was a point in time where Heather learned how to hold her own spoon. Thank God, she said. You, you don't go to Heather's house and Pam and I are still feeding her. Or Daniel still. I could get really awkward really fast. So at some point in time, we have to own growing up and put childish ways behind me. I'm not letting somebody else be responsible for me and I am acknowledging I have to grow. How does that play out in our Christian life? When we gather on Sundays, if you're a brand new Christian or you've been walking with Jesus just a little bit, you maybe should come on Sundays with an expectation of, I'm going to get fed. I'm going to receive something that helps me grow. If you've been walking with Jesus for 20 years, you should know how to hold your own spoon. There is, there is an ownership that we take of our relationship with Jesus that I get to the point when I come on Sundays, I come to be encouraged, I come to serve other people, I come to help others encounter Jesus, I come to do something that contributes to the whole because I'm 
put childish ways behind me and I've owned my relationship with Jesus to the point where I'm feeding myself in between Sundays. I have a relationship with him that I'm cultivating outside of this time when we gather. When I come together, it is great to worship Jesus together. His presence is here. He does something. But I don't come with an, my checklist of my agenda for Sunday mornings is not, I'm coming to be fed. And if you don't feed me, I'm going to sit here with my arms crossed. All I'm saying is we need to purpose to grow. We need to look at and examine our lives. Let Jesus speak to us and say, you know, there really are things in my life that I need to own them and I need to grow. And I, I need to let him make some changes in my lives. So that's, that's lesson number one this week is purpose to grow because this is a choice. Please remember, you're not a plant. You're not a random seed in the ground. You get some ownership of this to choose and purpose to grow. And, and the reason growing is important and purposing to grow is our second lesson today. Uh, character matters more than competency. Character matters more than competency. Competency is what you do. That's, that's your skills that you have, your job that you have. Mike is super competent at hanging drywall. He knows how to do that. What matters more than his skills and his competency is his character. That will take you much further than your competency. For, for example, you might be the best plumber who ever walked on the earth. You know how to fix pipes. You know how to make the toilet go down when it's supposed to. I'm, praise God for that. You might be the most skilled plumber ever, but if I know that you're not a person of integrity and you're trying to take advantage of me, I'm not going to call you to come fix my pipes. Character counts more than competency. And we need, I feel like we need to work twice as hard on our character as we do our competency. You can be very skilled at some things, but if we don't have integrity, if we don't have character, we're not going to go very far in life. Your competency will take you only as far as your character will carry you. And and whether or not the world promotes it or not, character still matters. And it will open doors for you. It will help you be successful in life. And that's something we need to learn and embrace right now. Success doesn't make you who you are. It reveals who you are. And that's part of working on our character first. Because uh, competency isn't the main success driver character is. Here's a verse for you in Proverbs 22. Probably a very familiar verse for some of us. It says, choose a good reputation over great riches. Being held in high esteem is better than silver or gold. There's something about our reputation, our character, our integrity that counts more than all the riches in the world. And the Bible says to pursue that more than, than wealth and honor. Uh, and the problem for some of us, though, is just, just like purposing to grow is hard. How many of you know character sometimes comes at a cost? It, it's not an overnight thing that you just wake up one morning and like, oh, I suddenly have character today and I didn't yesterday. Character is a process that costs something and it can be a difficult road sometimes. And uh, here's a verse in Romans. Paul's talking about some of the things they've gone through and what's happened to them. And they're still working for Jesus and, and spreading the gospel. And he says this in Romans 5 verse 3. He says, that's not all. We also brag about when we are suffering. And this is what he says. We know that suffering creates endurance. Endurance creates character. And character creates confidence. Come on, suffering in this verse is the hard things that we go through in life. Because there, maybe you know, there are difficulties in life. 
Life, life can be hard. There are things that we're going to experience. Not everything is going to be smooth sailing all the time. But there is a purpose behind it. There is something that happens when we do hard things, when we do difficult things, we acquire things of value in our lives. They, they are all, we sang about it this morning. I'm trusting God, you work all things together for my good. Those hard things that we're walking through right now, there is something being fashioned in us if we're allowing it to be. And Paul says what it is, is suffering creates endurance, and that endurance turns into character. And when, come on, it it strengthens us to endure. Just like if you go to the gym, which I obviously have not been doing very much of lately. When you go to the gym, you work out to a certain point till you get tired. If you're doing it right, what happens? You go back to the gym the next time, and you can work out a little longer. Maybe you, maybe you ran a tenth of a mile today, and next week you can run a quarter of a mile. You suffered a little bit, but your endurance increased. And that's part of the Christian walk. These things that we go through are difficult. They're building something in us that helps us go through difficult things in the future, and it actually helps us turn around and help other people to walk through those things. There, there is something produced that gives us endurance, and it gives us character. And it's not easy to become a person of character. But it's worth it. And it counts for more in this life than anything else. And when we have that character, we can be confident because God is with us and he'll work all things together for our good. So we want to embrace character even more than competency in our lives. Uh, I have a couple of things that I want to talk about quickly. Two more lessons that kind of go together. And one of them, I have a pastor friend that says this all the time, and, and I've embraced it and repeated it. Uh, and this lesson is people aren't against you. They're just for themselves. Come on. People aren't against you. They're just for themselves. It's very rare in life to see somebody that's actually sitting at home plotting how they can make your life miserable. And I'm not going to say that there aren't people like that. There are very rare cases where somebody may actively hate you that much. But in general, people aren't against you. They're just for themselves. And the way that manifests is you're thinking, hey, I asked that guy for five bucks and he wouldn't give it to me. And we project the worst possible motives on that person, don't we? He didn't give me five bucks because he wants me to go bankrupt and starve to death. Come on, we, we think crazy thoughts like that. He hates me so much. He's just out to get me. What is the reality? He probably didn't give you that five bucks because he wanted to go to McDonald's and get a Big Mac for himself. <laughs> They're not against you. They're just for themselves. Everybody has their own agenda and the things that they want to see happen, and that's what's first on their lives. They're, they're not plotting to make you miserable. They're just plotting, how can I be happy for myself? Go, go to the next slide, please, Kelvin. This is actually a diagram of where most people in the world live. The universe revolves around me. Is it, come on, isn't that true? And, and to a certain degree, if we're, if we're willing to admit it, we probably all live there at some point in our lives. We, we have ourselves right in the middle of everything, and then circling around us, we have stuff about me and my stuff. Even stuff I hate is what I'm thinking about all the time. But then others are way out on the outer rim. I, I hardly ever spend any time thinking about others because I'm so me-focused. And that's, where, that's really where a lot of the world lives. So when, when they do things that you perceive as like, oh, they're out to get me, really it's just that they've got their own agenda and they're for themselves. Go ahead to the next slide, please, Kelvin. Here's another cartoon. Uh, the wife and the husband are sitting on the couch. She says, it's all about you, isn't it? Your hopes, your wants, your needs. And the husband says, you make it sound like that's a bad thing. 
I'm not going to ask how many husbands have actually said that in a conversation with their wife. But I, I will give you a clue. It is a bad thing. It's called selfishness. And the Bible has a lot to say about not being that way. And there's something about it that we need to get out of. We need to remember it's not about us. And the person that's next to us isn't out to get us. Here's, here's a verse in Ephesians of who we're actually fighting against. And it says in Ephesians 6.12, We're not fighting against human beings but against the wicked spiritual forces in the heavenly world, the rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers of this dark age. Come on, the, the bad boss, the mean spouse, the unfriendly worker behind the counter at the fast food restaurant, they're not your enemy. And they're not out to get you. There is a real enemy who's out to get you. And that's what the battle is against. But our battle is not with people. It's not flesh and blood. It's not human beings. And we need to get that in our mind. When we start seeing people differently, that you're not the enemy, you're not out to get me, it changes our attitude towards them. When we see people as out to get us, when we project those bad motivations on people, when we think, oh, you're my enemy, we see them in a light that makes it like, oh, you're, I got to fight you all the time, or you're out to get me. And we push them away when people are who we should be embracing. As Christians, we're called to be different than people who are for themselves. And the, the next lesson actually goes right with this one. People aren't against you. They're just for themselves. So our next lesson that we need to learn and embrace is be for others. You will be wildly successful. You will have many friends. You will be amazed at what happens in your life if you simply take the focus off of yourself and you start to be for other people. Man, I, I support you. I'm with you. I'm praying for you. I see this in your life. You've got this great character and this great gift. And we start affirming people and we're actually for them. You would be amazed what that does in your life. Even, even in that one, it can almost sound selfish. <laughs> but I want you to succeed so badly and flourish in your life that I'm telling you be focused on other people. And that really is a shortcut. That is a way to get there to say, I, I want to be fulfilled and be fulfilled in my life and, and feel good about what's going on around me. Well, a secret to that is be for other people. That is the difference between us and every else is we are called as Christians to be more for other people than we are for ourselves. Here's, here's a verse for you in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. It says, be free from pride-filled opinions. And this is like one of those things, just let the Bible work on you. <laughs> just, just read this verse and do what it says in plain black and white. We don't have to look for hidden meanings. Just if we, if we master what's written in Scripture right there on the page, stuff will change in our lives. Be free from pride-filled opinions, for they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts. But in authentic humility, put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. I can't tell you how hard it was to read that entire verse this week as I was preparing because I kept saying ouch to myself. God, you're really working something on me about putting others first and being mindful of what's going on around me and not being selfish and having my own agenda. Selfishness keeps us from what God wants to grow in our lives. And the more we let go of our own agenda and we embrace, you really are for others. Pe people matter to Jesus and they should matter to us 
even more than ourselves. Here's, here's one more verse along that line of being for others. In Galatians chapter 6, it says, Don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. And he'll have, all he'll have to show for his life is weeds. If we want anything of kingdom value to grow in our lives, we need to be for other people. And we need to embrace the same priorities with, that Jesus has, and he is for people. In fact, if you remember in Matthew 5, uh, Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he said, hey, if, if you're going to worship, and you're bringing your gift, and you remember that you have something against someone, leave your gift at the altar. What's, what's Jesus in that moment? He's saying relationships with people are even more important than worship that happens. Come on, how's that for a mind bender? Because we think, oh, my relationship with Jesus and my worship, and we have, this th- we have this intimacy, me and Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, more important than this time we're having together, if you remember something is broken here, you need to stop what you're doing and go fix it, because people are that important to me. Come on, can we hear Jesus saying that to us this morning? People are that important to me that I would rather you go fix what's broken in a relationship that you have somewhere than be here in the church worshiping me this morning. That's another verse that just, let it, let, read, just read the verse and do what it says. Man, being for others will actually take you further in life than being for yourself. And that, that goes counter to what the world tells you. The world says, put me first, make me number one, look out for my own interests, that's how I'll get ahead. And the Bible says we'll actually get further in life if we put others ahead of ourselves. Counterintuitive to the world, but it's the kingdom way. All right, amen. Those, those are four good lessons, Pastor Chris. Give us one more before the road. <laughs> you guys okay with that? One more for the road. The, the last lesson is because we can't do any of the stuff that we're talking about in our own strength. This, that's why I put this one in the, in the lesson today. Uh, number five for today, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why is that important? Because we already said it. Life is hard, and we need power. And Jesus said that's where the power in our lives comes from. He told the disciples, come on, people that were already believers. You know, we, we are a charismatic church. We believe in being filled with the Holy Spirit even beyond what you receive at salvation. He told his disciples, who were believers in him, go wait in Jerusalem until the gift my Father wants to pour out on you. And when you get it, you'll be filled with power from on high. That is the purpose. He knew life would be hard. He knew there would be difficulties that would wear you down. He knew we'd be standing here talking about these lessons that it's like, how could I ever do that in my own strength? And the answer is, we can't. And, and as a result of that, it's, God is so awesome. He is a multitasker. He's so efficient. He says, I'm going to give you commands that you can't do on your own, but then I'm going to give you a helper that will help you do them. There, there is, I will tell you, the Christian life is impossible without the help of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And he said to be filled. And I, I don't have time today to in, unpack the whole doctrine of the Holy Spirit. I just know if Ephesians says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, Ephesians 5, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if, if you study, if you're, if you're nerdy and you want to study your Greek, the word be filled is an active, ongoing tense of that verb. It means continuously be filled. 
It's not just a one time. Come on, we don't do that with our car, right? We drive to the gas station. Oh, I filled up five weeks ago. I'm good to go. Sometimes we go to the gas station more than once a week. Does anybody else drive that much? Sometimes you drive a lot and you need to fill the tank more often. And there are times when Paul's encouraging us in Ephesians, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Stay in that place of connection where he is filling you with his spirit. In the book of Acts, there's several times where we see people who are already believers. In fact, there, there was one time Paul went to see the Ephesians and, and he said, hey, have, have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? And they said, we haven't even heard about the Holy Spirit. And these were people that believed the message. Some, some historians say that that passage where Paul went to see the church in Ephesus could have been as much as 20 years after he started his mission efforts and after Jesus had ascended. And he says, you haven't heard about the Holy Spirit. You know Jesus. You've been baptized for repentance. Well, let me tell you about the Holy Spirit. And they laid hands on him. They got filled with the Spirit and they spoke in tongues. Paul says, you need this to be successful in what's happening in life. Jesus and John the Baptist both talked about the experience of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. John said, hey, there's somebody coming after me who's going to baptize you. The same way that I'm immersing you in the water, you get soaking wet, you're drenched, you're saturated. Somebody's coming after me who's going to do that to you with his spirit. And Jesus even talked about, wait for the gift of the Father. Many, not many days from now, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. There's something about it that we need in order to be successful in life. Being filled with the Holy Spirit helps us with everything we've been talking about. In the book of Jude, verse 20, it says, uh, But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. There, there is something about praying in the Spirit, or the common term is you'll hear people say speaking in tongues. There's something about praying in the Spirit that builds us up in our faith. The, the, Paul's actually, or Jude is actually talking about when you pray in the Spirit, you're expanding your capacity to receive from the Lord. You, you are working on the house. You're putting an addition on when you pray in the Spirit, and He can fill you up with more of Himself. Now, here pe- people will ask, well, I, I'll, I'll believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but do I have to speak in tongues? No, you get to. Come on, there, there is a promise in there of all these things. Do, go home and do a study on all the times when it says what happens in praying in the Spirit. And, and the Apostle Paul, who wrote more than half of the New Testament and evangelized the known world at the time, he tells the Corinthian church, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. If, it, if the Apostle Paul needed that as part of his vibrant Christian walk to do the things that Jesus had called him to do, why would we think we're any different? God doesn't force you to do anything. But we get to. He offers and we get to do it. We are the ones that open our mouths when he fills us with the Spirit. We, we, get, we get filled with the Spirit by just believing and receiving. It's, it's just like salvation. There's nothing you can do to work it up. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough. You just believe and you receive. In Luke chapter 11, it's, how many of you are familiar with the ask, seek, knock passage? Yeah, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. How many of you know that when Jesus gave that passage, he was talking about asking the Father for the Holy Spirit? He, he wasn't just talking about random things in prayer or being persistent and working harder at it. He was actually talking about seeking the gift of the Holy Spirit from the Father. And in Luke chapter 11, he says this in verse 13, If imperfect parents know how to lovingly take care of their children and give them what they need, 
how much more will the perfect heavenly father give the Holy Spirit's fullness when his children ask him? His children. His children. He's already talking about people that believe and belong to him. They are his children already, but he's saying, ask, seek, and knock, and the Father will fill you with the Spirit. It's not work on our part. If you've ever received a gift, anybody just have a birthday, or I guess Christmas is too long ago now to think about that. If you've ever received a gift, the person that gives the gift does all the work. Come on, they are the ones that went to the store. They picked out the gift. They thought about it. They bought a car. They probably wrapped it and bought one of those little baggies to put it in. They put it in their car. They drove it to your house. The person that gives the gift is the one that does all the work. And the person receiving just says, thank you very much. And they receive it. It's the same way with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. He's the one that did all the work. We just have to receive and say, thank you very much. That is an amazing promise that he gives us. Come on, if, if you, again, I'm not going to get into the, the whole doctrine of the Holy Spirit, but if you read through the book of Acts, the, the pattern that you see, the most common way that people were filled with the Spirit is other believers laid their hands on them and prayed for them, and they spoke in tongues. Other believers do the praying. God does the filling. You just do the receiving and the speaking. We... Sometimes we get confused about all those parts and who's supposed to do what. But it really is simple. He's the filler, we're the receiver. And we need him because life is hard. So that's the last one I wanted to leave us with this morning is be filled with the Spirit. Uh, So we're going to purpose to grow. We believe that character matters more than our skills that we do. People aren't really against you. They're just for themselves. And we're called to be different. We're called to be for others. And the way that any of this works as Christians is we need to be filled with the Spirit. Let's go ahead and stand together. I'm, I'm going to continue the, uh, the same action item I have for this week is the same one I gave you last week. So this is still the same homework for this series. Go to a life group this week. Connect with some other people. It's not too late to sign up and, and go talk about what did we talk about today. And there's, there's people that will encourage you. They'll walk with you. They'll pray for you. Uh, life is just better when we do it together. We, we weren't called to do the Christian life alone. So that's still our, our homework is to go to a life group this week. Man, that was amazing, Heather. You got really loud all of a sudden. You sound like a whole band there. <laughs> uh, so today, I'm going to pray to dismiss us and bless us as we go. But as you're going... There's going to be some people from the ministry team up here to pray for you. And I I just want to, I'll put out that we always pray for sick people. If you've got pain in your body, you need some healing this morning, come get some prayer before you leave. But I'll add to that this morning. If you're wondering, what's it mean to be filled with the Spirit? I've never experienced that before. I've never spoken in tongues. I've never even felt anything. Like, if that's you, come get somebody on the ministry team to pray for you this morning before you leave. Because the Father is good. He said, all you have to do is ask. And it's, he said, if you ask for the Holy Spirit, that's what you're going to get. He, he told the disciples, if you ask for a piece of bread, Father will give you bread. 
He's not going to give you something different than what you asked for because he's a good father. So I just opened that up also this morning. If, if you're curious or, and wanting and seeking and knocking and asking, what's the baptism of the Holy Spirit about? Come get some prayer this morning and get filled. Or if you're just in a dry place, maybe you had an experience with Jesus years ago where you got baptized in the Spirit and you just need a fresh filling just to help you go through life right now. Come, come get some prayer for that. But let me pray for everybody else and we'll dismiss, but then come up and get some prayer if you need to. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your goodness in our lives. There is no one like you. God, you are amazing. We just continue to declare that in our lives. We thank you for the ways that you've blessed us, the ways that you watch over us. You are so good. Lord, I ask that as we go from this place today, that you would continue to be present in our lives in a very real and tangible way. Lord, let your light shine in our lives, in the places that we go, the people that we interact with, so that we would have opportunities to tell people how good you are. Lord, use us to make your name famous in all the earth. We just say that we love you, we honor you, and we give you glory this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.